White Sugar, Brown Sugar, The Sweet Life of Our Transracial Adoptive Family. Hey guys, it's Jamie Grace, and I want to tell you guys all about the founder, the author of that incredible blog, White Sugar, Brown Sugar. Her name is Rachel Garlinghouse. I first heard of Rachel a few years ago when I was doing a lot of research about adoption and transracial adoption as I was really opening my heart to that being an option in my life. And I know it will happen at some point. I'm just not exactly sure when. So I started to reach out to different bloggers and families and writers and really just try to learn as much as I could because I wanted to make sure that I was prepared. And you can't really fully be prepared because you can never really be prepared for life. But I wanted to do the best that I could. So I reached out to Rachel and we became Instagram friends and social media buddies. And though we haven't met in person yet, her story has really touched me. Rachel is a mom. She and her husband have four incredible children by adoption. And her adoption experiences and health experiences have been shared on MSNBC, NPR, CBS, CNN, Yahoo News, Today Parents, My Brown Baby, Babble, Scary Mommy, Essence Magazine, HuffPost, HuffPost Live, ABC News. Guys, I could literally talk about this for like 100 hours. <laughs> her story has been shared so many places because they are such an incredible family. Well, she has type 1 diabetes, and last year she was diagnosed with cancer. We're going to talk to Rachel today and learn more about her amazing family, her amazing story, and how she's doing with all of these crazy things happening in her life. Here is Rachel Garlinghouse. Hey, Rachel. How's it going? Hey, how are you? <laughs> I am doing well. I'm just, you know, chilling here in Cali. You're, you're East Coast, right? No, we're actually right outside of St. Louis. So we're right here in the Midwest in the dead middle of the United States. <laughs> this is so bad because I also just referenced this morning. I mentioned St. Louis to someone else and also referenced it as the East Coast. I think someone needs to tell me that St. Louis is not on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. why. Like, I know it's in the central time zone, but I'm just like, yeah, yeah, the East Coast, Missouri. I don't know what's up with that. So are you guys hanging out in the snow right now? It has been snowing and icing, and my kids have had intermittent days off of school, which has been completely insane, and they have no idea what to do with themselves, and we're just kind of a hot mess, so <laughs> yeah. we're at school today, so we can hang out today. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I can only imagine. Oh, my goodness. I Every time I, you know, because I'm from Georgia, so I have a lot of friends in the snow thing right now, and they're like, yeah, I thought the kids were going to be in school, but they're not. They don't think my kids go to school anymore. It's just like, it's so hard to know what they're doing. And so speaking of kids, you have four incredible kids. Um, they are so precious. And I I feel like I've met them, even though I've I kind of just only met them via like sending videos back and forth. But, um, but you have four super precious kiddos. I know that you we're, are really passionate about adoption and stuff, but kind of the, the road to, you know, adopting was a lot of it, you know, had to do with your health and things like that. And um, I would just love if you just shared about your journey of being diagnosed with type one diabetes and, and what it was like experiencing that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly enough, without my autoimmune disease, I wouldn't be a mom to four kids that I have now. So um, Steve and I were newly married. I got married at age 21. Oh, I was a baby. What was I doing? And Steve was 23, 24. When we got married, we we're three years apart. I'm terrible at math. And I'm, I was like, I'm a writer, not a mathematician. Um, but I got really, really sick. It was my, uh, my first year of grad school. And I kept going to the doctor and they're like, you have anorexia. You're a hypochondriac. We don't know what's wrong with you. I just lost a lot of weight. I was already a tall, thin girl, and I lost a lot of weight, and I just felt sick and depressed and not myself, and 
one day I just took a nap on the couch and Steve, my husband was trying to call me on the phone and he couldn't get a hold of me. And he, I finally picked up the phone and he goes, what's wrong? And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm not breathing well and whatever. And I just went back to sleep and he goes, I'm coming home. So we rushed home from work and he took me to the ER and they ran a bunch of labs and they're just looking at me like, what is wrong with this girl? And the doctor came in and said, you're in a state called diabetic ketoacidosis. So my body was shutting down and um, my blood sugar was seven times the norm. And they said, you have type one diabetes. We're admitting you to the ICU. Like, and I just, it's weird, Jamie, because I, in that moment, I was relieved because finally someone believed me that something was wrong with me, you know, Mm. like, um, so it was, I was in the NIC, or the, I almost said the NICU, the ICU, <laughs> I live in kid world. I was in the <laughs> ICU and um, the, the doctors kept coming in and they just were staring at me like I was like a zoo animal or something in a, in a display and they just kept staring at me and they just kept saying, you should be dead. <laughs> like that is what people kept saying to me. Wow. You should be dead. Um, and so a couple of days later, I met with a diabetes nurse educator and she said, do you guys want to have kids? And I said, Yes. And he said, yes. So she started talking about, you know, diabetic type one pregnancy. Um, and I immediately knew immediately that we would adopt. Like that was it. Mm-hmm. I was like, we're going to adopt. Yeah. And that's kind of how we arrived at this decision. Yeah. Wow. And so, man, I think that's so, that's insane. That's incredible. And I'm so, well, I'm glad you're alive, I should say for starters. Um, but that's, I understand, I totally understand what you mean in the context of, of when you're diagnosed with something that heavy and, and you feel relief. It's like, I feel like until you've had a, a big diagnosis like that, you may not understand how relieving that is to just know that you're not going crazy and to know that there's actually something going on. Um, and then to be diagnosed as well. I mean, to be, you know, told you're like a hypo, or sorry, to be misdiagnosed and to be told that you're like a hypochondriac and all of this stuff. Like, how how did that affect you, like, on an emotional level of, of trying to, like, almost prove to people that you're sick, but but at the same time being constantly told that you were wrong? I mean, it, it created a major mistrust between me and doctors. Like, I just felt like I can't trust doctors. Like, I can't trust medical people. And I think, like, I've become, I mean, it's the title of your podcast, but I think since that moment I've become a fighter. Like I am always in this fighting mode. Not that I'm an aggressive, mean, you know, rude person, (laughs) but I am like, I try not to be, (laughs) you know, it's like, I'm just always almost on guard and it really, it changes you. I think too, you learn to listen to your body. Like if your body is telling you something isn't right, that's, you know, the, I believe that's both God and your body telling you like, wake up, there's something not right. And you need to start fighting for yourself because no one else is coming to fight for you. Like it really is up to us to stand up for ourselves, especially as women, right? We're told to be like often conditioned to be like polite and, um, respect authority and things like that. And so I really had to retrain myself to be a fighter. Yeah. No, and that's and that's so cool. And I think that it it's it's just so crazy how I mean, I think your story is such a true testament to this, how the most difficult and complex and what can be what can seem to be the most defeating moments in life can make us like are are, are part of the very essence of who we are and, and make us give us the strength that we have and the courage that we have and the the ability to fight that we have. And I'm I'm sure that 
you know, the, the, the process of being a mom and then fighting for your kids. Like, I'm sure like that all was a part of building, you know, building that part of who you are now um, and, and strengthening that. And then everything that you've had to go through last year as well. Um, it's just, it really built that now. Okay. So, so, so going back a little bit, so now you've, you've gotten the, the diagnosis of, of having diabetes. Um, and then what does your day to day look like from there? I mean, cause I, I don't, oh, I feel like I know a little bit about diabetes because I've, I've read some stuff and, um, and you post a lot of great information that I love to like read and try to like <laughs> educate myself, but what does your day to day look like now? Yeah. So in March, it'll be about 12 years since I was diagnosed. And my day to day is, um, I check my blood sugar twice a day. I plug it into an app on my phone and then, um, it kind of keeps track of my blood sugars for me. And then I wear two medical devices. I wear an insulin pump, which delivers insulin to my body since my body doesn't make its own insulin. Um, and then I wear a continuous glucose monitor also strapped to my body. So I kind of look like a GI Joe or something (laughs) under my shirt because I've got like, I'm really fun at airport security. Let me tell you, um, but like I, I've got plastic and metal and tape and all sorts of things underneath my shirt and it's stuck to my abdomen. But so these things basically keep me alive. They tell me what my blood sugar is. And then, cause if I'm, if you're too high or too low, that can be pretty dangerous. So the technology today is great, but I mean, I have days where I'm too high or days when I'm too low. And, um, those are definitely days of struggle because that create all sorts of issues. But I would say the technology today is great. Like it really has helped a lot of people like myself who live with type one diabetes. Yeah. That's, that's, it's good to hear the technology is improving for sure. I have two little cousins with, um, with type one diabetes and I, it's weird because like I, you know, I have Tourette's syndrome and everything. And I, I, I want people to feel comfortable around me. Like I don't want people to feel nervous or to feel apprehensive, but when I'm with my little cousins and they're, they're little, so they're, you know, like cuddling and jumping around and all this stuff. And I get so nervous that I might like hit the pump or something and, and mess <laughs> up something. I, I get so nervous and I just, I don't want them to, to feel that I'm nervous. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable, like, you know, sitting with me or anything. How, how is, how is, how is that aspect of it? Like, what, I guess, what would you say to someone that has a loved one with diabetes and that's trying to figure out like how to not be awkward? Like, cause I like, that's something that I really don't want to do. Like, I don't love that <laughs> when they run up to me and they want to jump in my arms. The first thing I think is, Oh no, don't, don't break it. Don't break it. Like <laughs> I just don't want to hurt them. I know what you're saying. I think one, just being really supportive and not, um, not policing them. So like when I was initially diagnosed, people would be like, can you eat that cake? Aren't you going to get diabetes? And I'm like, first of all, eating cake doesn't cause diabetes. And second of all, I already have diabetes. (laughs) So um, so not like policing people. And then I think being empathetic and supportive is important and mainly just treating them like everyone else. Because as you know, basically, no matter what your disease or your disability or your special need or whatever it is, you're still at the heart of it, just a person. Like yeah. I'm not diabetic named Rachel. I'm Rachel who is a diabetic, yeah. right? So I think that that's important. And just, and sometimes I think the best thing that we can do for each other is say, Hey, I know that you have a chronic autoimmune disease or you know, whatever is going on with that person. How can I support you? So instead of trying to guess how to support someone, why not just ask them, Hey, what can I do for you? Yeah. Like that would maybe help support or even offer to, I mean, you said you've gotten educated on a number of things is, you know, Hey, give me a resource so I can learn more about, you know, what your struggle is and how I can support you. So I think like just honesty and treating them like you would every other person is really important. Yeah. No, that's very true because for the most part, like 
you ask anyone about their story, most people are willing to share. Um, yeah. And just figuring out like, you know, being, being able to be open and honest and, and not being able to break that ice and just be like, yo, I need to understand this. Like <laughs> it's been bothering me. <laughs> I want to understand this so bad. Um, so you're, you're, you're starting to navigate that. Well, now it's been, you know, quite a bit of time, but, but back in the day, starting to kind of navigate, you know, through <laughs> diabetes and understand, um, your day to day. What I'm, I'm interested to know, like, as far as, as far as your marriage goes, because I know that you and your husband love each other and you guys are so precious and, um, <laughs> I, you know, my claim to fame, I do have a Christmas card from your family cause I'm just that official. <laughs> um, so, you know, what's, what, what, what was that like as far as your marriage is so, so often like, uh, health can affect every relationship that we have. Um, and I know that it probably takes a lot of honesty, you know, just like, Hey, I need this or Hey, I don't need this. Um, but I think especially too, like if there are any wives out there listening or any husbands where their spouse is dealing with an illness, is there anything specific that you would encourage or discourage or something that was really helpful for you guys? I mean, man, Jamie, when he and I got married and we promised to love each other in sickness and in health, I'm like, dude, you got the short end of the stick because I just keep throwing up diseases in his face. But I would say like, he has just been so patient and supportive and he can see my blood sugars on his phone as well. I have a share app and, um, he's never calling me up and saying, Hey, like you need to do this or you need to do that. He's very like figures out, you know, the main thing that my husband says to me that I think partners or even friends should say to each other is how can, what can I do to help you right now? And that's any relationship, not just marriage. And so when he knows I'm having a bad day or, you know, things aren't going well health wise, he'll say, what can I do to help you right now? Yeah. And that is the best thing someone can say, right. In any relationship, because then I can say, Hey, here's what I need. And so that's, but man, I mean, this guy is committed because he has been through the ringer with me. (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, that's so good. It's just, yeah, but support and just, I don't know. That's really good. That's really cool to hear and, and to see that support. And also, like you said, the, what can I do to help right now? Like to be present in the moment. And it doesn't like, cause some, so often I think sometimes it can, you can want to like only want to fix people. And that doesn't seem like a fixing thing. That's like a, no, I'm here. I'm present. Like, I just want to serve you right now. Um, yeah. And that's, that's really beautiful. That's so precious. <laughs> so then you guys, <laughs> so then you guys add, Four adorable humans to the bunch and oh my goodness like so much so much fun um and I know that there's I mean there's so many there's so many beautiful elements to to your story and your family's story um especially in, in the context of of um of your kids but I, I think one interesting thing to bring up so you have your your website white sugar brown sugar um and it I just your tagline on there is the sweet life of our transracial adoptive family I would just love to know as far as, you know, the, you don't have to all of it, but just like the, I don't know, the, the, the choice to adopt. And then as you chose to become a transracial adoptive family, or was that a choice that it just happened? And then on top of that, you choose to share your story. And now you're inspiring people all across, even more than the nation. I'm sure it's international. Um, how, how has that whole process been? And that's actually, you know, how we connected. Cause I was like, Oh, she's such a cool cool adoptive mom and want to ask your questions about stuff like how has that whole process been um so we've been in the adoption community for over a decade now and 
we just knew that pregnancy would be really hard on my diabetes and I wasn't really ready to be pregnant. Like I just, I needed to get a grasp on my disease first. So we were ready to have kids, but I didn't have the desire to have a biological child. So we were open to a child of any race. I have a cousin adopted from Guatemala. Um, so we originally were going to go to Guatemala and then that program closed. So we we're like, okay, we'll adopt domestically. So every time our profile book, which is a book of pictures and letters that you write to someone who might want to place their child with you, our, we were always had our book shown for moms having Caucasian boys every time, every time oh, wow. so we were like, okay, I guess we're adopting a Caucasian boy because like, what is going on? Um, so when we got the call for our first child, who was African-American girl, we were like, whoa, this is, you know, not really, I think what we were fully prepared for, yeah. but with each child, we learned more and more, we read more and more, we became more experienced. And so four kids in 10 years and yeah, all of a sudden we're very active, not all of a sudden, gradually we're active in the adoption community and working to educate others. And, um, I mean, it's interesting. We go places and it's very obvious we adopted because Steve and I are both white and our four kids are black. So everyone's, you know, there's second glances and questions, but I will say overall, it's been very, very, the response has been very positive. Um, and when there are negative situations that come up and we are aware that our kids are next to us, we just teach them ways to respond that where they're standing up for themselves and for their right to privacy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because like, um, you know, you, you've chosen to share your story and, and which I think is beautiful. And, um, I love that. And then you like all sometimes be watching, like watching, I don't know, a random news station, something about like social injustice or something. And then there's Rachel on there talking about like, <laughs> like, and I'm, like my mom, like will send me a text. She's like, isn't this your friend? I'm like, yep. I know her. Like, that's crazy. I, I, I love how like your your choice to share your story and to to be open about this process and um, to understand that there are challenges but there are joys and you're just sharing them all or you know choosing to share right. quite a bit of it and um, yeah that's amazing. Did you ever expect any of that? I mean, when you started your blog, like, did you expect to be on like NPR and stuff or did did it just kind of happen? Like. <laughs> Yeah, it just kind of happened. Like, I don't know how people get my phone number, but <laughs> I'll be like sitting here with kids like sneezing on me and like changing a diaper and like doing all the things that moms do. And then I'll get a call and it's like, hi, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, if you could see me right now, you wouldn't have me <laughs> on your show because I'm like a hot mess. But I didn't expect it, um, but I consider it a privilege. I've taken my kids. They sit in the green room with me when I've gone to TV shows and radio interviews because I want them to see a mom who is active in her community and standing up for what she believes in. And I believe that every child is fearfully and wonderfully made by God yeah. and that no one has a right to diminish or demean them because their skin tone is different from mine. And so, you know, showing up and taking them to the green room and showing them, yeah, mommy's scared to talk to millions of people or to write an article that goes to millions of people where I'm talking about race. It's very uncomfortable for a lot of people. But should we do something just because, you know, or not do something just because it's uncomfortable? Of course not. Like the best things in life are the hardest things in life. Yeah. So, you know, I'm teaching them we're going to show up and we're going to do this. And I've had mishaps along the way. I've, you know, had made mistakes. But the most important thing is that you're still doing what you believe in instead of just maybe sitting quietly by the sidelines, <laughs> hoping, hoping the world will magically change. Yeah. 
no, I, I totally believe that. And I love that you're setting that example for, for not only your children, but for other people out there as well. And any, any piece that I've ever read that you've done or, or interview that I've seen of yours, it, that's always been a constant is that you've never presented a front of, oh, look at me. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, like I'm the best at all of this. It's always this element of, oh, look, this is my journey. This is what I'm learning. These are my convictions. This is my heart. And then at the same time, because it's so humble and because it's so real, it, it ends up becoming advice and I end up, you know, reading your books and um, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, not even like, like, I'm not even like tech, like not even about to like adopt at this present moment in my life, but I still read your books. So I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to highlight that for the future. Like <laughs> that's good information, good information. Um, and I love that so much. So you're this awesome mom, awesome wife dealing with some difficult journeys day to day. Um, but really able to impact the lives of other people and inspire other people. And then was it last year um, that you received the diagnosis of breast cancer? Was that 2016? It was April, July of 2017. Um, I, I found a lump and I had it examined and um, they said it was normal. I had it scanned. And my, oddly enough, my infant at the time, just kept bumping my chest in that place. Like her hand would always go there. Oh, wow. And I thought, this is weird. Like something's not right. And I'm pretty good about listening to my body, obviously. So I yeah. went to the doctor and they biopsied it. We went on vacation. I come back from vacation. I'm like, hey, so what's going on? She's like, you have breast cancer. I wow. was like, what? Yeah. So this, it was insane. It was the absolute most stressful, insane time of my life. Yeah, I can. Oh, my goodness. I can only imagine what what was that like to, talking to your husband? And, and did you did you share the information with the kids or was it because your kids are pretty young? So I know they may not you know fully understand everything. Yeah, we um, I actually told the kids basically everything. They were very transparent with our kids about every topic, adoption, um, things going on in the world. We're very like open and transparent yeah because um, we want them to come to us for information yeah, yeah not go to their friend on the playground um but they were great like we I found out in July I had I had a bilateral mastectomy on um August 30th my kids were supportive would come sit with me in bed because I couldn't lift or move my arms like they were phenomenal and I think that just being including them on that journey was a good thing because we don't do a lot of hiding or concealing from our kids. So like, I think including them was a positive thing, but I had a really long recovery. I'm still, I'm starting PT for my chest and my back, you know, it's, it's a long journey, but having one disease prepared me to have a second one. Yeah. It's odd how things, it's odd how one disease led me to four kids, which led me, you know, I ended up with a second disease. It just, the progression of things that have happened is pretty crazy, but it's also odd how there's all these blessings mixed into this crazy turbulent road. Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally get that of just, it's, it's, it feels overwhelming and it feels like everything might be falling apart, but at the same time, you're just like, but God's doing such good stuff. Um, yes. And he's preparing us for so much. Wow. That's, that's absolutely crazy. And how are you feeling now? Like what, how are you doing these days? Um, I think I'm feeling like really strong, but also very, very anxious because after you've been through two major medical, <laughs> um, you know, traumas, yeah. I, just, I would use the word trauma. Um, 
it takes a long time emotionally and mentally to recover from that long after these scars on my chest are healing. I'm healing in other ways. And you know, as well as I do, having a diagnosis of any type is also a spiritual battle. It's not just mental, physical, and emotional. Yeah. So, you know, people say to me, oh my gosh, you're so strong. You've been through so much. And I'm like, I actually feel really, really weak, but mm. I think that's Jesus shining through that strength because mm. it's, it's definitely not my strength that this, you know, that I got through all of this. Yeah. Wow. I, uh, yeah, your story, oh, it's so incredible. And I'm just so grateful that you, that you choose to share your story. And I, I know, I know for sure that it's God's strength shining through you, but you also allow him to do that. And that's just so powerful and amazing. And it's just, I don't know. I think it's really incredible. How can people find you? I mean, you're literally, if you Google your name, it's like all the steps, like, which is so awesome. But I know that you've got like some books some recent books and you've got some coming out soon. What's, how can people find you on social media and also find your books? Yeah. So the best way is just to go to my blog. Cause I list all my books there on my social media and it's just white sugar, brown sugar.com. Um, but I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and you know, all that. Um, and it's been great. I've connected with people all over the world on adoption, breast cancer, diabetes, and I just keep adding fun things to my list. Apparently <laughs> things that I want to talk and write about. And then all my books are on like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you can just look them up by my name. Yeah. Awesome. And my, well, I have a few personal favorite books of yours. So if there's any moms out there with daughters, you need to buy them the book Poems for the Smart, Spunky, and Sensational Black Girl. I have a few personal reasons why I think it's cool. Um, <laughs> and then there's also Encouragement for the Adoption and Parenting Journey. I love that book so much. I have it. And I, yeah, I think it's really great. I'm, I, we, you know, we initially met when I was thinking that my journey was starting a little bit sooner than right now. Um, but I, I still enjoy that book and I still love it. And it, it helps me to know, it helps me to even kind of know too, because like reading that book helps me kind of see like what some might be going through that are about to adopt or that I've just adopted. So it helps me to pray for them and understand them a little bit better too. So that's always good. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you being an adoption and foster care advocate, because I think the more people that we can, you know, reach and tell them there's like a hundred thousand plus kids in the u.s right now waiting for a forever family yeah. that are free for adoption waiting for someone to say yes you will be my son or daughter yeah. so we need to continue to spread that message so that we don't have so many kids in in care waiting. yeah no we do it's i mean it, it it it's just i mean you know this as well kids in foster care get such a bad rap and it's like i get it like it's not the easiest thing in the world but People, you know, people have always said like, oh, you don't know what you're going to get. Like, it's scary. You don't know, you know, you don't know those kids experiences. And I'm like, yeah, but also like you grow a human inside of you and like you just pop it out. Like, it's not, that's not the easiest thing I've ever heard of. Like, that's right. like parenting is yeah. difficult and, and no matter how your child comes to you, it's going to be challenging, but it's worth it because kids are worth it. And I, you know, un, un, until the day and until the day that I'm able to have my own children and when I'm able to have my own children, I will continue to advocate for kids in foster care and to, to tell as many people as I can about, you know, foster care and adoption. And just, yeah, like you said, there are hundred, over a hundred thousand kids that need a home and. <laughs> yeah. We need to do something about that. Exactly. Oh, wait, sorry. You broke up for a little bit. What'd you say? I said, I agree with you. We need to do something about that. <laughs> we need to not just, you know, let that continue to just continue. It's devastating. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, I think that you are definitely doing a great work with every, every time that you share, whether it's a blog or a tweet, a book or an interview. Um, I know that you're definitely doing a great work and I'm just so grateful to get to be a small part of your story. It makes me feel really cool. Um, and I'm just, I'm excited to see how you continue to reach out to people and love on people and encourage people and to everyone listening. I know they're going to check out your stuff and I just, I just cannot, I don't know. I just can't wait to continue to see what God does in your life because you're a cool human, Rachel. Yeah. Well, I'm doing life big, right? This is what hey. you taught us to do in your song. <laughs> but I it's love true. it. You need to do it big or, you know, go big or go home, yeah. right? Let's just go ahead and bring on all the, all the interesting things in life and tackle them because why not? So I, yeah, I just, yeah, I appreciate you letting me share my story today and yeah. And thank you for doing what you do advocating for foster care and adoption, but also just writing songs you're convicted to write, because I think that that it impacts the impact of that is far. I know this as a writer, it reaches far more people than we can ever imagine. And so it's just a tremendous honor to be, you know, to be able to be a voice that inspires and educates others. Right. Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah. You're, you're incredible. Oh goodness. One more thing I need to ask you before you go. Yes. I'll keep it quick because I know you probably have a, a, a you know, a, a little group of humans running in your home in a few <laughs> hours. Um, just favorite part of this is us. Do you have a favorite? Anything that oh. just <laughs> Oh, you're killing me. I know. It's it's a big question. Like how do you even pick a favorite moment? I mean, it's hands down, Randall is our favorite because Oh, one hundred percent. Of everything he's going through. But yeah. um I think it's amazing how Randall, who is a character in a TV show, is just teaching us all the time things about race and adoption and foster care and marriage. And I don't know. I mean, I think I. Yeah. Randall is like a real, you know, so I don't know. I just encourage everybody to watch that show. They do a phenomenal job. And Mandy Moore is my celebrity lookalike, <laughs> apparently. Like I can that. see it. And I'll totally take it as a compliment because she's gorgeous. So I'm like, yeah, I look just <laughs> no, I like Mandy Moore. No, not really. But um, yeah, I just, I'm, oh, are you not obsessed with this? Is yeah, it's, it, I, I mean, I, I was at Target last night at 830 and I was rushing so bad. I was like, I have to get home for nine o'clock. Like this is, there's, I cannot <laughs> miss, this is us. It's everything. Randall and Beth are just my favorite couple in the world. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they're all oh making it. Okay, good. Well, we could we could talk about this all day. I'll probably blow up your phone later about it because <laughs> I'm still reacting to last night. Um, and yeah, I'm having a moment. Okay, well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me today. You are so wonderful, and I love your story and I love your family. Um, and just thank you for sharing your story with me. I really do appreciate it. Well, we love you too. And thanks for hanging out with me today. This of course, super of cool. course. And next time, believe it or not, anybody's listening, we have not even met in person. So next time, this should be over lunch or something. Yes. Let's <laughs> okay, <it>. awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing your story on the I'm a Fighter podcast. Literally, I think I was kind of starstruck a little bit and didn't really make sense on half my questions but thank you so much for hanging out with me you guys make sure you check out rachel's blog at white sugar brown sugar.com and find her on social media at rachel garlinghouse she's super awesome if you want to share your story in another season of the i'm a fighter podcast every season we feature five incredible fighters hit up i'm a find me on social media at jamie grace h and i'll talk to you soon